everyone, Rev Tom here. It is Friday night. It doesn't feel like Friday night, but it is Friday night, and uh, it's time for Samanka Place Chapel Online. As you know, we're not at Samanka Live. Uh, I got an email from them, though, that says I think they're thinking February or March they're going to try to get us back. But in the meantime, I'm still preaching my regular schedule, and the second Friday of the month, which is now, is a Samanka night. And so here I am. What a wild, crazy week it has been. Um... Uh, I, I was not watching much of the news coverage of the uh, uh, stuff in Washington, D.C., where people were trying to get in the Capitol and all the shenanigans that took place there. Didn't watch much of that, but I did watch uh, the, uh, the ensuing count of the Electoral College votes and the debate and how, uh, how that went uh, with the dispute over Georgia, the dispute over Pennsylvania. Uh, as you know, you know, I spent a lot of years in politics and uh, both as a staffer at the legislature and uh, running people for office. And, and, you know, I've been to Congress and helped people run for Congress and all that kind of stuff. So that kind of stuff is kind of interests me, uh, especially from the from the parliamentary procedure perspective and the kind of constitutional perspective. And so, it, you know, I watch with interest um, and, and I have a different take maybe than some people because I, I've worked in that business for a little bit. But it was crazy. I mean, it was just, you know, breaking into the, the, the Capitol, the Capitol Police just letting people in and letting people out and, and allowing them to break stuff. And then, and then, you know, a woman being shot by the Capitol Police and all that. And then the, the fallout, you know, people being fired and Sergeant Arms at the house was fired. That was kind of weird or resigned under pressure or whatever it was. And it's crazy. But out of all of that mess, there was a quote um, that struck me. And, and, uh, uh, it was from Beth Moore and I know some people don't like Beth Moore. Um, but, but I, I, I think she's pretty right on most of the time. Uh, this is what she said. She said, I don't know the Jesus. Some have paraded and waved around in the middle of this treachery today. That's Wednesday. Uh, they may be acting in the name of some other Jesus, but that's not the Jesus of the gospels. And, and I, I, I really like that, honestly. And what I want to talk tonight about is who are you following? who, who, who do you think you're following? You know, what are you following Jesus? Which Jesus, you know, what is, what does Jesus look like? What are we supposed to be doing with our witness? And, uh, um, you know, I've been banging on this a little bit over the weeks, but I really want to kind of drill down because I think this gives us an opportunity to, to look at this. Now, what Beth was, was talking about was in the middle of this 46,000 people, I guess that were out there, which is insane. Um, there were a, a number of signs, uh, from, from Christians, you know, Jesus saves or whatever it might be, uh, that were part of the group. Now, I don't, I don't know if the Christian faction was, was part of the breaking into the, to the, uh, capital or not, but they certainly were part of the, uh, Trump train that went down to the capital to, to try to put pressure on legislators to, to at least uh, try to uh, overturn the Electoral College stuff. And, and Beth's point is that that's not the Jesus that you see in the Gospels. You don't see Jesus storming the gates of Herod's palace, for example. You don't see him um, uh, doing really anything political. You see him talking harshly to the religious leaders, right? And some will say, well, that's politics, and I, I, could, I could go with that in a, in a sense. But but when they wanted to make him king, he said, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not here for that. And when he was asked by Pilate, are you a king? He says, not of this world. You know, my kingdom is, <laughs> he's have a heavenly kingdom. And, and of course, no one understood him. Um, 
So you look at what Jesus did in the Gospels, and, and this just would not have been his thing. And there's reasons for that. And I want to go through that a little bit tonight. So uh, hopefully we won't get too political, but I do want to talk about, as a Christian, who are you following and what your witness should look like? Not according to me. I, you know, who cares what I say? Um, but according to what the Bible says. And so uh, it's going to be a little bit of fun. I'm going to read you some, some stuff that goes back 1,600 years. And I'm going to read you some stuff that goes back 400 years. I'm going to read you some stuff that goes back just, you know, um, what, 80 years. And, and show you that this is not a new topic. This is not something that, that is uh, unique to our time. One of the things that's really frustrated me about the social media, especially younger people, is nobody has a sense of history. And, and, you know, I saw legislators comparing what happened in Washington to Pearl Harbor. It's like, oh, my gosh, no, it, it's more akin to the burning of Washington during the Civil War. Um, it's more like the, the bonus army, the, uh, the, the army after World War I that was promised uh, uh, that they would get a, 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 a financial bonus uh, after the war. And they were denied. Congress changed its mind. They marched on Washington. It's more kind of like that. Uh, and they were dispersed violently. As a matter of fact, it's a fascinating story if you want to look at that. Um, but just the hyperbole, it just drives me crazy uh, because they're, they're comparing apples and bowling balls because no one knows history. And and so um, let me kind of go through a couple things here. I want to I want to start with the Bible because that's that's where we start. We always start with the Bible, right? And and let's let's talk about what the Bible says. This goes back to Isaiah, right? This is Old Testament. This is Old Testament. The Lord says, "These people come near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me." This is Isaiah 29:13. So way back, way way back in Isaiah. God saying, you, you know, you say things, but you're not with me, right? You're, you're hypocrites. Your witness stinks because you'll you'll yammer, you'll talk the talk, but you don't walk the walk. And and you can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden if you want to and talk about Adam and Eve, and you can talk about Cain, and you can just go forward through all of your, your biblical history and find people who talk the talk and don't walk the walk. And all of the prophets pretty much said this. I picked Isaiah because he's, you know, a lot of people uh, read Isaiah and he's well known and uh, he's messianic in terms of his prophecies in, in uh, what is it, chapter 53, 56. Um, but it's important to know that, that from the beginning of God's people, from the beginning of people worshiping the Lord, they have said one thing and done another. So the question that begs is this, are you really following the Lord if you're just talking the talk and not walking the walk. I say no. I, you know, I'm just going to be blunt and bold and say, no, you're not following the Lord. And the reason I say that is God says that. He, he says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Well, Scripture says that, that God looks into the heart, right? He, he separates the bone from the marrow. He looks at your motive. He looks at what's going on in turn. He doesn't care what you say. God doesn't care what you say. He cares about your heart. He cares about your faith. He doesn't care what, about any of that stuff. If your heart isn't right with the Lord, you're in trouble. And, and it goes back to Isaiah. But, but Jesus, Jesus repeats this. He, he says in Matthew 15, 8, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Jesus confirms the Isaiah message. Look, 
400 years later, Jesus is saying they're still like that. There's nothing different about these people. They, they talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. And so um, most people are maybe as Christians are more familiar with the Gospels than they are of the Old Testament, which is a shame. You need to read your Old Testament and get familiar with it. Uh, the Old Testament, everything about it in the Old Testament is about Jesus. And you got you to gotta figure that out. But when Jesus says this, and you know, their, their, their mouths praise you, but my heart, their hearts are far away. He's confirming that people haven't changed. People haven't changed. I, I say this all the time when I'm preaching. There's no difference between the people of the Bible and us. There's just no difference. We're the same people. And it's as if we don't learn any lessons. It's as if we have no change of character. It's as if that um, all of this Bible that we read has zero impact on the life of the church. And, and it's, just, it's just so frustrating. I've got to be honest with you that, that, that you watch this. Let me read you another one. And the Lord said to me, the prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor did I command them to speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination, and deceit of their own minds. This is Jeremiah 14, 14. I saw today Dr. Brown. I don't know if you watch this guy. He's a, a, a podcast guy. Um, and he was talking about all the prophecies out there about Trump being the anointed one and winning a second term and all this. And now that Trump has said he's going to he's actually going to step down and have a peaceful transition of power. He asked the question, all you people that that were prophesying. I mean, this is about religious prophecy that he was going to be, you know, reelected. Re were you wrong or what happened? Because if you're truly a prophet, you can't be wrong. Right. Because if you are. You weren't sent by God. And that's what he's saying here in Jeremiah is, is uh, I didn't send them. You, you, you're, you're hearing. And didn't Jesus say there's going to be false prophets or there's going to be people within the church that are, that are trying to lead you astray? The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them. I did not send them, Jesus says. Okay, what the Lord says. And he says, they're, they're lying visions, worthless divinations, divinations, and deceit of their own minds. The church has a problem because I believe you see that right now. You see self-appointed prophets, not prophets from God, not prophets that have a word from the Lord that is can be tested against Scripture and be borne out and tested against the factual coming to truth of prophecy. You have people coming up with stuff in their own mind and saying things, crazy things, that don't come true. And if you prophesy and it doesn't come true, it's not from God. And and how many people are rushing to these prophets and crushing the witness of Jesus? Because they're not really following Jesus. They're following themselves. They're following their political ambitions. They're following their opinions. They're following their wants and their desires. They're not following Jesus. And that's kind of the question tonight. Who are you following? Right? It, it gets worse. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you. Um, when you're reading scripture, we've all heard this one, right? For a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. I think that we've been there forever. I think that in, in uh, and this is what I'm going to show you, in, in the church age, that, that's just a constant. 
and and uh, I think it was Francis Chan. Francis Chan's kind of a brilliant guy, and he said, he said, uh, right now in America, you can find a guy with a PhD in theology or a PhD in um, um, I don't know divinity, or you know, you pick pick your topic, who will say exactly what you want to hear. They're out there. You will find a church and a denomination that will support anything you believe. You just got to look around a little bit. And so if you are a right-wing crazy and you want to believe in absolute fundamentalist stuff that is not biblical, you can find it. If you want to find a hierarchical church that believes in extra biblical um, uh, readings and, and the Apocrypha and those kind of things, you can find it. It's out there. You want to find a church that is left-wing, social justice, supports LBGTQ, um, all that stuff, you can find it. They're out there. You know, you want to find an Orthodox church, Greek, Russian, whatever, you can find it. It's out there. You want to find a mainline church that is, you know, just trying to hold the line on being Bible-based, you can find it. You can find anything you want to hear. And that's what's happening because the church is so splintered into different beliefs. They don't, they don't come together on what the Bible says. They, they have different beliefs based on what their itching ears want to hear that, you know, the church is absolutely fractured. And again, what does the witness look like? What do what are we as the church showing non-believers? What what do they see? Why would anybody want to be a Christian when they see some of the stuff they see? Let's go to Matthew. Y- y'all know I love this verse. Okay, this is the Matthew 7, 21 through 23. I, I say it all the time. And I know you get tired of hearing me say it, but it's a warning to you. It's an absolute warning line in the sand warning to you. And I keep on saying it because as a pastor, I've got to warn you. I, I mean, as, as God has put his word in my mouth, it's an exhortation to you. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The scripture says many think they're doing the work of Jesus. They think that they're absolutely doing his work. But watch what the verse says. Didn't we do things in your name? What's the focus? Do you remember grade school when you had to break down sentences? What's the subject? What's the verb? We do not jesus do we do many things in your name prepositional phrase the subject is not jesus and that's why he says i never knew you you didn't love me and do what i commanded you loved you and did what you wanted to do and claimed me what's your witness who are you following right this is a crazy time and as you're going to see as I, as I plow through this, this, this message tonight, um, this isn't new, one. And two, it's kind of been prophesized to us. It, it's, it's, it's been told to us this, this was going to happen. And it's been told to us in the, in the book of Revelation. Let me, let me go to some commentary. We've read, we've read scripture, right? What do people that, you know, maybe church leaders, I mean, much more important than me. I'm, I'm a nobody. Um, but what do church leaders say? 
1600 plus years ago, there's a fellow by the name of Augustine. You may know him as St. Augustine or Augustine of Hippo. He's considered one of the church fathers. Not a perfect guy by any stretch. But this quote, I think, is uh, appropriate. And remember, 1600 years ago, he said this about Christians. If you believe what you like in the gospel and reject what you don't like, it is not the gospel you believe, but yourself. If you like what you like and don't like what you don't like, it's not the gospel you believe, it's yourself you believe. How many Christians out there pick and choose out of the Bible what they like and what they don't like? Again, I, I can take the Bible and prove anything I want by what they call proof texting, just picking verses that support what I say. I mean, Confederates supported slavery using the Bible. Because there's a piece of Bible says that if you're a slave, honor your, you know, work as if you're working to the Lord. Even if you're a slave, do what's right for your masters. They're saying, see, God in, in, endorsed slavery. No, he didn't. Well, there's slavery in the Bible. I can, I can twist any scripture to say anything I want it to say. And that's what Augustine's saying. If you take what you like and leave out what you don't, it, you, you don't, you don't worship the Jesus. You don't, you don't support the gospel. You support yourself because you're picking and choosing what you want. And there's a ton of that going around right now. And I don't care whether it's about mask mandates or elections or you know, you, uh, business, employment, race, you name it. And it works on both sides, right? Uh, there are, are quote-unquote black churches. Black churches. Last time I checked, there was one church, and it was the Church of Jesus. It's his church. There's not a white church, not a black church, not a Korean church, not a Russian church. There's Jesus' church. And scripture says the gates of hell shall not stand against it. Doesn't say the gates of hell won't stand against the black church or the evangelical church or the Methodists. And, and this is where I get fired up because 1600 plus years ago, Augustine warned about this, that people were not following Jesus. They were following themselves. Okay, so um, let's move forward in time. Okay, that's 1,600 years ago. Who cares, right? Ever read a book by a guy named Thomas Akempis called The Imitation of Christ? It's right here. Fabulous book. Now, he, he was a monk, and he was an aesthetic. And so some of the stuff that's in there, you go, yeah, I, I don't think I would go that route. Uh, but you can see where he's coming from. But most of what he says is freaking brilliant. Uh, and this was written in... Um, 400 years ago. Okay. I want to read you. I got my, my big reading glasses on my 2.00 magnifiers. Uh, I want to read you a piece of Thomas Akempis right now because it's just so powerful. I got to find my spot here. <laughs> All right. What he wrote here in the 11th chapter of his little book, and these are just short little vignettes. Few love the cross of Jesus. Now, again, remember, what's your witness? Who are you following? That, that's the framing of this, okay? Jesus is always, uh, excuse me, Jesus has always many who love his heavenly kingdom, but few who bear his cross. Okay, I just got to stop there. Jesus has always had people that love the heavenly kingdom, but few that will bear the cross. Oh man, so powerful, isn't it? 
He has many who desire consolation, but few who care for his trial. He finds many to share his table, but few to take part in his fasting. All desire to be happy with him. Few wish to suffer anything for him. Many follow him to the breaking of bread, but few to the drinking of the chalice of his passion. That's his crucifixion. Many revere his miracles. Few approach the shame of the cross. Many love him as long as they encounter no hardship. Many praise and bless him as long as they receive some comfort from him. But if Jesus hides himself and leaves them for a while, they fall either into complaints or into deep dejection. Those, on the contrary, who love him for his own sake and not for any comfort of their own, bless him in all trial and anguish of heart, as well as in the bliss of consolation. Even if he should never give them consolation, yet they would continue to praise him and wish him always to give him thanks. What power there is in pure love of Jesus, love that is free from all self-interest and self-love. Isn't that powerful? 400 years ago, this monk, Thomas Akempis, wrote this thing. And he was writing about people of his time. The same way Augustine was writing about people of his time 1,600 years ago. And they're saying the same thing, right? You honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far away. You walk the walk, but you don't talk the talk. You, you, you want a feel-good Jesus. You don't want to sacrifice for Jesus. Your witness sucks because you don't do what Jesus does. You do what you want to do and claim Jesus, just like Matthew 7.21 says. And I, I throw this out as a warning. I know I'm being harsh tonight, but dang it, folks. You're going to have a sucky meeting with Jesus when you meet him. Because like he says in Matthew 7, 21, 20 through 23, I never knew you. And I want to get to more. There's more commentary out there about this thing. So that's, so we've read 1,600 years ago. We've read 400 years ago, right? I want to read you from the 1940s. Get a little bit more contemporary, okay? This guy's name's Tozer, A.W. Tozer. I love this guy. Tozer is, is a guy that I really, really enjoy. He's written many books. This is from the, the book, A Crucified Life. This, there's three books here. He did Pursuit of God, A Purpose of Man, The Crucified Life. Um, um, there's one called The Pursuit of the Holy or something like that that's probably the best of his. But Tozer uh, was pretty much a genius. And, and so let me read you quickly what he said in The Crucified Life. This is 1940s. And, and let me stop there. 1940s America, everyone was a Christian, right? Everyone believed in God. If you if you took a poll back then, 98% of the people were believed in God. And we were supposed to be this Christian nation in the 1940s. Listen to what he says. Our question then is about Christ himself. And all other religious questions are reduced to, what do you think of Christ? And what are you going to do about him? Unless this is fully addressed, nothing else really matters. Then he says, some pretend to have problems concerning this. Actually, they are in love with themselves and are blinded by egotism and self-love. I respectfully claim the right to doubt the sanity of those who are now saying, I have problems about the Bible. I have problems about the church. I have problems about the morality. All these problems are reduced to one. God spake his eternal word in Christ Jesus the Lord, so Christ has settled every question. Oh, he comes out just bang. You know, he just, he was just banging there. Basically, what he's saying is, you don't, you know, if you believe in Jesus, shut up. If you believe in Jesus, shut up. He answered all the questions. He was raised from the dead. 
you can't have questions about the word of God. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. God spoke things into existence. Jesus was there at creation, right? What, what problem do you have? God's word. If Jesus is the word, God's word, his Bible, is Jesus. It's Jesus' word. Jesus said, not one jot, not one tittle of the law shall pass, the law is fulfilled. He didn't have the New Testament, the Old Testament. He said, none of that's going to fade away until his return. He came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. All these quotes, right? Don't have a problem with the Bible. Tozer's right. Jesus settled all that stuff. Yet, yet, Tozer hits it right on the head and says, it's about egoism and self-love and pride and, and, and you don't want to follow the Bible. You don't want to follow Jesus. You don't want to follow the commands that Jesus laid down. You want to follow yourself. And I, you know, I get it. And, and here's why I get it. I, I claim to be a Christian, a Jesus follower for all my life. And my life looked nothing like Jesus for about the first 40 years. Nothing. I, I didn't really do anything for Jesus. I did for me. Claiming Jesus. Didn't I, didn't I do this for you, Jesus? Didn't I do that for you, Jesus? I'm afraid that I would have been a Matthew 7, 21 guy. He was like, sorry, Tom, I, I never knew you. You didn't love me and do what I wanted. You did what you wanted and claimed me. And my friends, a lot of you out there are doing that. A lot of people in the church are there. That's where they're at. And God has just put this on my heart because I watched some of the commentary. I, I probably made the mistake. I was watching Fox News online and you can hide the comments if you want to, but I didn't. I wanted to see what people were saying and the insanity of people out there. And and you could tell that, that some of it was like Christians out there trying to justify all sorts of stuff. I'm telling you, there's not enough lipstick in America to put on that pig to make that work. But it was a glimpse into modern-day American Christianity. And it looked a lot like it did in Augustine's time, and it looked like a, a lot like it did in Thomas Akempis' time, and it looks a lot like it did in, in Tozer's time. A whole bunch of people doing what Isaiah said, honoring God with their lips, but their hearts are far away. Who are you following? Who are you really following? Let me go further. You know, I'm on a roll. What the heck, huh? Um, I got notes on this one because I, I, I just felt so important to make sure I followed a script tonight a little bit more closely. The importance of the question is this. When I ask you who you're following, are you following Jesus or you following yourself? It's an eternal question. To be honest with you, I don't care. You know, it's your choice. Free will. Do what you're going to do. But it's an eternal question. As, as a follower of Jesus who's an evangelist, who's a preacher, who's a pastor, who, you know, who, who's, who's been called by God to, to handle his word, this is what I care about, your eternity. Because that's what this comes down to. Are you going to follow Jesus or are you going to follow yourself? Are you going to follow Jesus and do what he says? Or are you going to claim Jesus and do what you want? And your eternity is resting on it. I'm just, I'm just telling you. And if you don't believe me, read the Bible. I mean, it's right there. It, this is, this is not rocket science. 
It's hard. I'm not saying it's not hard. I'm just saying it's not rocket science. The scriptures are very clear. Remember back in the 90s? Uh, I think it was 90s. They had these little bracelets you could wear that said, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And it became kind of this fad, and, you know, Christians are all wearing them, and then, you know, like all fads, it disappears. Well, I want to go back to it, kind of a flashback to what would Jesus do, okay? And I want to ask you, if Jesus was confronted by certain things, what do you think he would do based upon what the Bible says about him and who he is? You ready? Would Jesus support Christian nationalism? This idea that America, you know, as Americans, um, make America first. Christian nationalism. Did, did Jesus support uh, the zealots and, the, and, and Zionists, uh, that Jerusalem, all that? Everyone thought the Messiah would come and kick Romans out of Israel to regain Israel for Israel. And that's not what he did. Do you think really that he'd be a Christian nationalist here in America? I don't think so. He would not idolize the nation. He would not make an idol out of a, a, a political leader. Just wouldn't do it. Would Jesus storm the Capitol building because he believed an election was stolen? <laughs> I mean, honestly, do you think he'd do that? What would Jesus do? I mean, let's say that he actually believed the election was stolen. And he's sitting here with me. We said, let's go to Washington and tear it all down. Burn it down to the ground. Well, let's go to Washington. And... No. Didn't he say, your treasures are in heaven. Don't worry about stuff on earth. You're going to hear wars and rumors of wars and all this stuff. It's going to come to pass. Don't worry about it. Keep your eyes focused on the prize. Run the race as is to win. Your battle's not against flesh and blood, but it's a spiritual battle. Didn't, didn't he say all that stuff? He wouldn't have done it. Would Jesus refuse government mandates to wear a mask in stores and churches? I, I don't see that. I see him actually going to temple. I see him actually paying taxes. I see him actually following the government mandates. I see him actually doing things. And this is Rome. Okay, this, this is a occupying force. And he's hammering the religious leaders. But you know what he says to them? He tells his followers, do exactly what they tell you. Just don't do as they do. Now think about that for a second. He, he, he's calling them a brood of vipers. He, he, he is hammering these guys because they are so badly keeping people from, the, from heaven. He says that you guys are keeping people from heaven. But he tells his followers, do everything they say. Why? They were in charge. Were they doing everything right? Absolutely not. They weren't doing everything right. And Jesus points it out over and over and over and over and over again. But he tells his followers, do exactly what they say. Just don't be like them. Would Jesus carry around a Confederate flag saying, you know, this is our heritage? <laughs> Given that the Confederate flag represents slavery and all, all that history? Heck no, he wouldn't do that. Let me make this point. When he comes into Jerusalem, you know, the triumphal entry, they call it, and everyone's throwing palm leaves down and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, in the highest, right? Do you know the palm branch that they were throwing down was actually a political, um, political symbol for a political party 
and that they were trying to get him to be king, to be the king of that party. And there was all these political overtones. And that's why scripture says he just left the crowd. They went to make him king and he just disappeared. <laughs> and that's when Judas went, wait a minute, I've been with this guy three years and he's not going to be king. And tried to force his hand by going to the Sanhedrin and uh, saying, hey, I'll turn him over to you because he thought, hey, he's the Messiah. If I turn him over, he'll, he'll you know, then he has to show his power, right? Because Judas has seen all his power for these three years. He tried to force Jesus into a corner and it didn't work. You think Jesus would, would carry around a Confederate flag? Be a nationalist? No, that, that, that's not his thing. Would Jesus love people differently based upon their policies, their politics, their lifestyles, their opinions? I don't think so. I don't see Jesus doing that. Talked to Samaritan women. He uh, didn't condemn an adulterous woman. Uh, he, he, he loved the Pharisees. He loved the religious leaders. He was holding them accountable. It didn't mean he didn't love them. Matter of fact, the truth he told was probably the most loving thing he could do, right? Treated everyone the same. He loved everyone the same. Do you, do you, you know, I, I was reading this morning um, a friend of mine, a good friend of mine from uh, uh, my old army days, my old language school days, uh, was saying that uh, that uh, people were blocking him or something like this on Facebook because his opinions didn't agree with him, with others. And he was kind of frustrated by that, that people can't disagree to disagree. And, you know, I kind of agree with that. I think you should agree to disagree and do it agreeably. Um, but we don't live in that kind of time right now. We treat people differently based upon whether they agree with us or not. Would Jesus, you know, block you from, from, from communicating with him because you disagree with him? Or does he encourage you to go to him in disagreement like David did? I mean, do you really know Jesus? Do you, do you really know him at all? I mean, our faith is a faith of relationship. It's not a faith of religion. And if you don't know Jesus, you'll be someone who claims him but doesn't look like him. You'll be someone who honors him with your lips, but your walk, your witness doesn't look anything like him. Would Jesus withhold the truth from people because it's unpopular, doesn't fit into the culture? Jesus is probably the most, you know, culturally um, abnormal guy in, in first century Jerusalem there was. And the things he was saying were not popular among the cultural elite. He wouldn't withhold the truth. He told the truth. I mean, let the chips fall where they may. Do we do that? Or do we believe that, you know, there's a couple things you don't talk about in life, religion and politics and money. You just don't bring those things up. It's impolite. Do you, do you, do you think that, uh, um, are you cowed? Because some of the things that are cross-cultural are so, um, I don't know, they're, they're, they're so volatile. And you don't know how to talk about them. And you're going to be shouted down. So you just go, eh, I'm not going to talk about it. Would Jesus do that? Would Jesus instead uh, embrace the cultural norms within his church instead of God's word? Because God's word is, you know, it's outdated. It's, it's culturally insensitive. It's intolerant. Um, and it's just written by man anyway. Is that what Jesus would do? 
Would Jesus agree with the moral relativism that's out there where there's no absolute truth, your truth is as good as my truth? And it's all just based on our experience. Would Jesus, would Jesus do that? Lastly, would Jesus agree with you that your rights as an American citizen are more important than your obligation to follow biblical mandates? You would say, oh, you're Americans. You know, you're a Christian nation. Get a pass. <laughs> you, all, you all know the answer to all these things. If you really look through the lens of what would Jesus do if you really know who he is and you're really a follower of his, and you compare it to your life, you should be convicted right now. Every one of us should. Because we're not living it out in our work. We're not living it out in our politics. We're not living it out in our marriages. We're not living it out anywhere, in our communities, anywhere. Now, as fallen people, it's hard. But I ask you this, are you even trying? Are you striving for that? Is it, is it your, your number one ambition in life to follow Jesus? Is that the number one important thing or is it something else? I know, I'm beating you up tonight. I am, I am, is what it is. I want to go to Revelation, the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, um, in chapters 2 and 3, we get introduced to the seven churches, right? And what's interesting about the seven churches in, in the book of Revelation, those were actual churches. And and John has this revelation from Christ about um, what's going to happen, but he addresses the seven churches. And it has all sorts of, of what they call dual or even triple prophecy. And that's not just the church there, but it's the future church. It's um, the seven hills around Rome. It's all, it's all sorts of things. And, and I want to go through the seven churches. Of the seven churches, five of them have problems. Okay, Jesus says, I see what you're doing here, but I have this against you. Two of the churches, only two, are doing what Jesus calls them to do. So I want to go through and talk about the five because what he outlines in Revelation with these churches is this is what the problem in the church is. Now, who's the church? The building? The denomination? No, it's us. So when he says the church at Ephesus or the church at Sardis or the church at Paragon, he's talking about the people that make up the church. Okay? So when I read this, what I see is Jesus trying to convict us as the church and saying, this is where you're at. Okay, so let's start with, with Ephesus, the church in Ephesus. He says, you're doing all these good things, but I have this against you. You've forsaken your first love. Okay, what, what should be the church's first love, right? Jesus, Jesus is always the answer. You've, but they've forsaken that. What, what did they forsake it for? Themselves. They, they put themselves first. They, they have their desires, their wishes, their wants come before what Jesus wants. And he warns them very strongly. Hey, you better get this right. You know, um, you got trouble coming. Even though he says you're doing these good things. I, I see you doing these good things. I have this against you. You've forsaken your first love. You are not following me. You are not doing as I'm commanding you to do. You're doing what you want to do. You are playing church. Church? Sound familiar? 
How about the church at Pergamum? Pergamum, excuse me. He says that they're having people believe false teachings. Have you seen that in your church? Have you seen that within the Christian community? False teachings? Heck yeah. You get, you get these false prophets out there saying all sorts of crap. Whether it's prosperity gospel or, you know, they're convinced they've heard from God that, that this politician's going to, you know, rise up and do X, Y, and Z. Or, or you, you see uh, people in, in the church saying the Bible isn't God's word and, and we can pick and choose from it what we want. You, you see churches uh, become apostate and, and embrace sin and say, you know, we're not going to believe what God calls sin is sin because we get to make that decision, not God. They believe false teachings, and it's everywhere. And that's why Scripture said people are going to want what their itching ears want to hear, and they'll surround themselves with teachers that, that feed them. It's everywhere. And so the church has forsaken its first love, Jesus. Jesus is no longer the, the point. They're talking the talk but not walking the walk. The witness is not about Jesus. And they're believing false teachings, which is driving them further away from the gospel. And there's no absolute truth because they're believing false stuff. The church at, uh, I, I hate this word, Thyatira. I'm not even sure I'm pronouncing that right. It says it was seduced and tolerates sin. Actually talks about being seduced by Jezebel. It's kind of a, 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 a an image a metaphor. Um, it was seduced and it's embracing sin. And we see the church do that. We see that we have gotten to a place where the church won't even talk about sin anymore in a, in a Sunday service because people don't want to hear it. Pastors have become so timid they won't even talk about sin anymore because church has become a spiritual TED talk instead of it being about saying what God's word is and convicting people to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And you see this all the time. You see churches embracing all sorts of stuff. And, and it, it just bothers the crap out of me. I mean, you'd see them turn a blind eye to all sorts of stuff. You know, one of the hard things, and I've been in church leadership and all that kind of stuff, is there used to be church discipline, church accountability. And, and churches have gotten so, um, I don't know, uh, I, I guess timid that they don't hold the parishioners accountable. There is no hierarchy. The pastor is just another guy. He is not called by God. He's not handling God's word. He's just one of us. And he just happens to preach on Sundays. And we want him to do all the work. Um, that when somebody does do something immoral, when somebody does have a, not not a, a fall, not something that, let me, let me make sure we get this right, not a fall where they're sinning and, and they're struggling, but they embrace it. They've done something and say, I am correct in this. And I'm not going to ask for forgiveness. And I'm not going to. There's no church accountability. Even though scripture says you, you go to them, you go to them with a brother, you bring them before the church. And if they still won't comply, you kick them out of the church and let Satan have them for a while. And once he figures it out, bring them back in and embrace him. Right? I mean, that's what scripture says. We don't do that. Heck, I don't, I don't, I don't even think that's right. Um, Taylor's telling me, I've heard some pastors say that blasphemy is something that God won't forgive, therefore we go straight to hell. But my pastor says that's not true. Does God not forgive people who take the Lord's name in vain? That's not the unforgivable sin, Taylor. Um, blasphemy 
the unforgivable sin, and this the, the words are 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 kind of loaded. So let me kind of break it down for you. When when you ascribe to to uh, Satan things of God, remember when Jesus was being accused of doing his miracles by the power of Beelzebub, and Jesus said, "You can say what you want about me, but don't grieve, don't say that about the Holy Spirit." Right? You can't attribute things of of Satan to God or a thing of God's to Satan, and that that's the unforgivable thing. I would tell you this, the only, the only way that you're going to lose salvation is if you say, I know who God is and I want no part of him. What, what's God supposed to do with that, right? But if, let's say you swear, you take the Lord's name in vain, and you go, oh man, I, I shouldn't have done that, and you're striving not to do that, and you go, God, I'm really sorry I did that, he forgives you, absolutely, absolutely. The problem is when you're taking the Lord's name in vain and you don't think it's a problem, and you don't think that you should really have to apologize for it, and it's just part of your lifestyle. You've not gotten to a place where you respect God enough not to take his name in vain. And that, again, doesn't mean you're not going to do it. You know, I, I, I'm a old military guy, and I grew up around swearing. Uh, my entire youth everywhere, swearing. I, I have a problem with it. I, I, it's one of those little things that comes up every once in a while. Especially when I'm when I'm triggered with my PTSD, I, I get fired up, um, and I immediately go to God once I get to my senses and I apologize, and because I know it's wrong, and God of course forgives me. So you're not going to go to hell for using the Lord's name in vain. Um, your salvation is not a risk for that. Just make sure that you go to God and ask forgiveness, uh, and ask Him to help you with that, because He will. The Holy Spirit will help you with with being able to control that tongue. Uh, be, you know, scripture says the tongue is the most evil thing of your body because it's out there saying all sorts of stuff. Uh, so um, relax, your pastor's right. I'm glad I'm glad that your pastor is a good guy and said that. Okay, uh, so Thyatira was seduced and tolerated sin. How about the church of Sardis? It had a reputation of being alive but was dead. <laughs> How many churches out there like, woo, that's a great church, but they're spiritually dead. They're not evangelizing. Um, they're, they're full of programs, and programs are great, but the programs become an idol. I, I think about a church in my hometown here. They uh, At one point, they built a, uh, a nice facility, meeting rooms, coffee shop, all sorts of things. And the intent, at least the public was told, it was going to be a religious, you know, Christian-based place. And it was, they were going to allow secular people to use it. The state government, I live in a state capital, um, were using the rooms. It was, it was fantastic. And then something happened. After they got people using it, right, they got people used to doing it, and they had market share and all that good business stuff, uh, they decided they weren't going to be Christian anymore. And it was a bait and switch. And they had a reputation of being alive, because everyone was excited about this thing, and, and, and me and all sorts of pastors and other people went to that place for meetings, to have coffee, to, to meet with people, do all sorts of stuff. And then they came out and said, no, no, um, we're, not, we're not really Christian. That's, that was never our goal, even though they stated it. They had a reputation of being alive as church, but they're dead spiritually. And how I knew this was there was a homeless person in there, and I invited that person to sit down with me. I was going to buy him a cup of coffee, and they tried to kick that person out. And I said, no, that person's with me. Oh, no, this person's a, a, a vagrant. They've been in here. They've trespassed, blah, blah, blah. And I went, you're the church. And they said, oh, no, we don't do that. <laughs> you have a reputation of being alive, but you're spiritually dead. How many churches out there are like that? How many Christians out there are like that? Remember the, 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 the 
churches the people. How many of them have a reputation of being Christians, but they're spiritually dead? I'll tell you a lot. Okay. Lastly, the church of Laodicea, you, you love this one. They were lukewarm. They weren't hot. They weren't cold. Jesus says, I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth. It made them so sick. They weren't hot. They weren't cold. They were just lukewarm. How many churches are just lukewarm? A ton of churches, a ton of people. How many people you know that say, oh, yeah, I, 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 I was baptized in high school. I'm, I, I believe in Jesus. Don't do anything. You know, Satan loves that. He loves he loves the Christian who does nothing. They're not hot for the church. They're not hot for Jesus. They're not on fire. They're not, they're not going to do anything for him. And they're not cold. They're not saying, well, I don't believe in him. You know, I'm not an agnostic or an atheist. I, I believe in Jesus. I'm just living my life, man. Now, based on the reading, okay, and all of these truths of, of Christians walking the walk, talking the talk, but not walking the walk, our witness doesn't look anything like Jesus. Two out of every seven people are actually following Jesus, according to this. Only two churches out of, out of seven. And that's roughly about 29%. 29% of the people that make up the church are following Jesus. The rest fall into the categories I just mentioned. That means 71% of the church is going their own way. Doing their own thing. Sound about right? Is that your experience? My experience. Sounds about right. So the bottom line is 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 this. Who are you following? You're following Jesus, you're following yourself. Because the history of the church from Augustine to Thomas Akempis to Tozer to me tonight is telling you. And and don't just believe me, go to Francis Chan. Go 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 listen to other preachers. Go read the Bible. Actually go read it. You have two choices. You can repent, you know, admit to God you've been a half-hearted, lukewarm, forsaking your first love, embracing sin, having a reputation of being alive but being dead kind of Christian, and apologize for it, and turn around, confess your rebellion, and this is what happens, two chronicles. 714, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. God, God of course, wants you to come home. Of course, he wants you to, to, to be his. Of course, he does. Or your other choice is this. Stop calling yourself a follower of Jesus. Just stop because you're not. You're a follower of you. You're a follower of, of a political leader. You're a follower of an opinion. You're a follower of, of you know, something other than Jesus. And, and move on. You know, just move on. First uh, Titus 1.16 says, They claim to know God, but they, de they deny him by what they do. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit to do anything good. First John 2 uh, 4. Whoever says, I know him, that's God or Jesus, but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. John 14, 23 through 24, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will, will obey my teaching. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. 
My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but my Father's who sent me. I mean, that's just a warning. So I'm going to conclude by saying this. Who do you follow? If you follow Jesus, you do what Jesus did. You love God and you love others. No exceptions. You don't take offense at anything. You turn the other cheek. If things don't go your way, the election didn't work out, the court cases didn't work out, uh, some politician didn't do what, what you wanted them to do, suck it up, cupcake. That's not our problem as Christians. Our citizenship's in heaven, not here. Don't judge others. Don't judge their motives. Don't judge them. Stop. If you love Jesus, that's what we're told. We're supposed to serve and not be served. It's not about us. It's not about my rights. It's not about what I want. It's not about me at all. It's about glorifying God in everything I think, say, and do. What is my witness? What does my walk look like? Is it about what I think? Or is it about what God thinks? We're supposed to be humble. We're supposed to yield. And that means sometimes yielding when you're right. I made a point in politics a long time ago that uh, do you want to be right or do you want to win? Sometimes you yield. I want to win for Jesus, which means sometimes it's not about me being right. You show grace and mercy to people. You don't hate anybody. You don't make memes saying that this politician or that politician is Hitler. You don't, you don't talk about, uh, I see so much crap. And I have friends both on the liberal side and the conservative side that are Christians. And they all do it. You don't do that stuff. You show grace and mercy. What is your witness? Who are you following? You bear with others. That's what Jesus commands us to do. You consider others better than yourself. You serve. You're not stuck up. You're not arrogant. You're not, you know, in your arguments and in your debates, you don't belittle the other person. It's not about personal politics and personal vendettas and all that crap. Argue issues, great. Don't argue people. Store up your treasures in heaven. Nothing on this earth matters, folks. You're going to die. And nothing that you say on Facebook, nothing you believe about your personal politics, nothing about your personal opinions, none of it survives. I'm just telling you. You know what survives? The only legacy, you want to know the only legacy you have here? Did you bring anybody else to heaven with you? That's the only thing that has any value. Any, any value. And when you meet Jesus, he's not going to say, hey, how did that campaign go? Or, hey, um, did, way to go standing up for your rights. No. He's going to say, how did you show people who I am? You pick up your cross daily. And this is the tough one. You know what it means? Picking up your cross daily means that you die to yourself. It's not about you. It's not about what I want, my opinions. And this is really hard. You know, I, you know me. I'm a very, very opinionated, focused individual. I have very strong ideas. And Christ crucifies them all the time. This is why Scripture says you're supposed to take every thought and make it obedient to Christ. 
And what that means is every thought of yours is subservient to what Jesus thinks. And if you're in disagreement with him, he's right and you're wrong. Period. You've got to die to yourself. He must become more and you must become less. And that is the fight we're in for our entire lives. If, if you're a Christian, the fight we're in, this spiritual battle, because it's not against flesh and blood, is he must be more and I must be less. When people see me, they must see the witness of Jesus Christ, not the witness of Tom Mann. Jesus tells us that people will know that we are his disciples by the way we love one another, exhibiting the true love of Christ. His light will shine through us everywhere we go. We're not insisting on our own way. We're insisting on Christ's way. Our good works will be self-evident, Scripture says, as we seek nothing but to glorify God. What does your witness look like? What's your walk look like when people on the outside see you? If some unbeliever went to your social media page, when some unbeliever heard you talking around the water cooler, if some unbeliever were had a bug, uh, you know, a listening device in your house, what would they hear? Would they hear Jesus? What does your walk look like? What's your witness look like? Are you self-centered? Are you indulgent? Are you self-focused? Are you selfish based upon what you want? Your opinions, your desires, your rights as an American? <laughs> or are you Christ-centered as a true disciple laying down your life at the foot of the cross to do anything to follow him, including giving up yourself for him? Let me end by just saying what Scripture says. He who has ears, let them hear. Thanks for spending a little time. Sorry I'm beating everyone up tonight, but I'm fired up about the fact that the church sucks right now. And we're not living out our witness. And um, I understand why people on the outside don't want to be part of us. Because we look silly. We don't look like Jesus and it's up to every one of us in the faith to do everything we possibly can to make our lives look like Jesus so that the light is so bright that those in the dark can find their way to Christ. That, that's the job. That's the, the thing you sign up for when you become a Christian. And I know that I'm kind of like Sisyphus rolling the rock up the hill and it rolls back down. You know, people have been talking about this for 2,000 years. Actually, they've been talking about it for 5,000 years, how human nature is such that people are not going to follow God. They're going to honor him with his lips, with their lips, and their hearts are going to be far away, and they're going to talk the talk and not walk the walk. And even pastors have become so scared of their congregations that they won't even talk about this stuff. But I'm here to tell you, I know you folks that watch this. And you're good people. And I know you want to follow Christ. And my encouragement to you is this. Align yourself. Take a look at your life. Figure out where you're not aligned. And get it done. 
align yourself with Christ. And then your witness will match your talk. All right. I will see you, I think, next Sunday is the next time I'm up. Not, not this coming on Sunday, but the Sunday after that. So um, I'll let you know, though, via Facebook. Thanks for spending some time with me tonight. And uh, um, I will uh, send t- Taylor a private note. He just said, how can we help support pastors that are struggling in the church body? One, pray for them. Pray for pastors that are struggling. Two, reach out to them. Pastors don't have a lot of friends. And uh, you reaching out and saying, how can I help you around the church? How can I support you? Um, what's the best way for me to uh, uh, be a part of, of, of your life to make sure that you know you're encouraged? Um, that those, those are important things to do because being a pastor can be a very, very lonely position. Uh, you'd be surprised at how much pastors get beat up by their congregations um, every day. And so anything you can do to be an encourager, to be a supporter, to pray for that person, and to, uh, um, yeah, just be a friend uh, because pastors don't have many. And so that, that would be my advice to you, Taylor. All right, I will uh, talk to you very soon. Take care.